We are in the Gospel of Mark. If you'd open there with me to chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And last week, if you were with us, we were looking at one of the parables that Jesus taught. It was the parable of the sower, sowing seed. And, and as we mentioned there, Jesus begins now to teach in parables. And we're going to see this quite a bit as we continue through the Gospel of Mark. And a, a parable is, a, is an illustration. It's a story. It's, it's something that the people, when they heard it, they could, they could automatically connect with in real life. But it's not a true story. It's an illustration that's used to bring a point, to bring a, a purpose behind it. That is, again, we, we call them illustrations or stories. But they carry divine meaning. Jesus was, the, was not the only one to do this. It was a common rabbinical practice to use parables. But we talked last time, the parable of the sower, and Jesus, as we'll point out in a moment, says it's important that you understand the meaning of this one because other parables, we're going to look back and draw from this, this particular one. But the sower, we talked about that, the seed that he went out and he cast around in, in his field. And it tells us that the seed is the word of God. And the point was that the same seed falls on different types of soil, same weather conditions, same everything else. The only difference was the condition of the soil. And we talked to the fact that Jesus was pointing to the condition of the individual heart as it was received. He did make a distinction between those who can't hear the message, not audibly, but spiritually, because they've chosen to harden their hearts completely to any truth whatsoever. That's a choice of theirs, but they don't have spiritual ears to hear. But the point was to you and I as believers, we have been given those ears, and it's up to us to use them. As a matter of fact, the command is, he who has ears, let him hear. And we talked about the fact that as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't try to say, well, my heart is just good soil, but that Jesus' point was that in all of our hearts, we need to examine as the entire word of God comes to us, are there places in my heart that, is, that are hard to that truth, that are resistant to that truth, that the Lord might be trying to speak to me? And if we're not care careful in that and allowing the Lord to soften those places in our heart... The enemy can come and snatch that truth right away from us even as believers before we've even had a chance to let that get, take root. The, we talked about the fact that we can have a crowded heart where those things, that, the, things of the world, the cares of the world, the busyness, they can choke out the truth of God's word even in the lives of us as believers. So we have to be careful and we have to examine and let God do that work in us. Well, we continue where we left off last week because we touched on the fact that the fourth kind of soil, which as Christians should, and most of the time does, represent the majority of our heart, and that is where the word of God falls on it and it takes root and it bears fruit, some 30, some 60, some 90. But the key to the fruit, no matter how abundant it may look on the outside, is, is, not, is not the size but the lasting value of the fruit. Jesus says this in John 15, 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And notice this, that your fruit would remain. So whatever you ask in the Father of the Father in my name, he may give to you. The fruit that we get from the word of God as it takes root in our heart and bears fruit is eternal. It is long lasting. It's not temporary. It's not like the stuff that you might get from some self-help book on the shelf or, or whatever secular thing that maybe can help you for a little bit but, but goes away. No, the word of God as it takes root in our heart is something that we can go back to always. It continues to grow and to bear fruit. And we're going to see that 
as we continue to look at some of this as we move through, that happens naturally in the wild when the seed is, is, is sown out, and it happens supernaturally, naturally, in the heart of believers, in yours and my heart, as we allow the word of God to penetrate into our heart. When the right seed falls on the right soil, fruit happens. Another example that Jesus gave again in John 15, again using some, some similar parabolic language, he says this in verse 3 through 5 of John 15, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Notice when he's saying that, already clean, we have already been given the ears to hear, but he, said, he goes on to say, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus, the living word, we as the branches, as his followers, as those that are, are washed in his blood, blood-bought saints, we abiding in him, bearing fruit, and it happens automatically again doesn't just bear fruit in us. Jesus now, as we continue our study in, in Mark chapter 4, also says that it should bear fruit through us as well. Moving from the parable of the sower and sowing, and we mentioned last time again, we not only have the responsibility to hear and to receive and allow the word of God to do that work in us, we also have the responsibility as believers to be those that are out sowing the seed of the word out in the world. But Jesus says this, follow along with me, beginning in verse 21. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? It is, is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. Again, Jesus says in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, Jesus, here again, this is, these are some of these things you may recognize as you've read in other parts of the gospel. Jesus has said these similar words in other places, but they are here for a specific reason. This is not separate, but this is connected directly to the parable of the sower prior and where Jesus goes following. In Luke chapter 8, we see the parallel account of this. And again, these words follow directly after the parable of the sower. And here we have another parable at the beginning in verse 21, speaking of a lamp or light that is brought into a room. And just like the seed in the previous parable, the light represents the word of God. We see that in other places within Scripture, right? In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus answer, asks three questions, and the answer is obvious, right? He goes, you don't bring a lamp, which, by the way, back then, as we probably could imagine, it wasn't an electric lamp. It wasn't battery-powered. No, it was an oil lamp that, was, that the flame is what produced the light. And he's saying, you don't bring that into a room, a dark room, put it on a table, and then cover it up with a basket. That would be silly. That would make no sense whatsoever. 
making just as much sense would be to bring a, 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 a fire lamp and stick it under your bed. That would be really silly. If you were doing that before bed, you wouldn't be long in bed. <laughs> but he's saying the purpose of it is obviously to bring it into the room and put it on a lampstand. Why? What does it do there? Well, it does a couple of things. First of all, it illuminates the room. It allows you to see clearly what is in the room. But when it illuminates the room and we see clearly, it also exposes things that were formerly in the dark that could not be seen. And we see that so clearly in the Word of God. Again, when we open the living Word of God, He reveals truth to us. Our, our eyes are opened. We can see things that formerly we couldn't see or understand about God, about who He is. This amazing God that we worship and that we serve. The more time we spend in his word and he reveals himself to us, the more blown away we should be. We were talking on Friday morning. I meet with uh, some young men um, on Friday mornings and, and we were having a discussion around that. And one of them shared with me the fact that they're talking in children's ministry this weekend about how awesome God is. And when he mentioned that, it just kind of struck that in my mind. Three years ago, when I went to the South Sudan and was ministering to the chaplains there, one of the other pastors that was with me was from Russia. And I have a bad habit of it, and I've caught myself several times since then because I've come under conviction again, as, as well as the other pastors. We were saying, you know, man, this is awesome. That's awesome. This is awesome. And he kept on saying, God is awesome. And convicting me and saying, we have to have a word that we don't use for anything else, right? Because that's great. That's cool. That's neat. That, no, God is awesome. So let's, let's all try to do that, right? I mean, and I, somebody else reminded me last night later on in the message, I, I messed up again. So give me grace. But God is awesome. He is transcendent above everything else. There is no comparison to him. The word holy that we use for him means that he is completely other. And one of the awesome things about God is that though he is that, he extends his love to us. He extends his grace to us. Jesus, God in human flesh, continually we see as we look through the Gospels, one of the things that it tells us that he felt towards the people that he saw was compassion. He saw their struggling, he saw their suffering, and he had compassion towards them. This awesome, holy God has compassion. He cares about the things that you and I go through. He cares about the struggles that we have so deeply that he, that he came and became one of us so that he could fully relate to what it is that we go through. Even those that hated him, even those that wanted to kill him, he had compassion for them. We talked about this. He even said they're like sheep without a shepherd. He realizes they're lost. His heart to them always to the very end was, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's our awesome God. And he reveals himself to us in the pages of his word. But also, that light brings things that were secret, that were hidden, into the light. There are things that, that it reveals to us about ourselves that, that we would, in our flesh, just as soon keep hidden, just as soon keep in the darkness. But as God works, in it, and again, that compassionate, loving heart towards us, calling us to surrender those things, to confess those things, 
And we understand as we do that, as believers, the great freedom that we have when we repent of our sin and follow the plan that God has for us. The word of God illuminating, exposing, taking it a step further, Jesus, the living word himself, says this in John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, what a beautiful, amazing promise that is for you and I as believers. When we walk with him, we don't walk in darkness anymore. When we, these things are revealed to us and we bring them and expose them to the light, repent of them, we walk and we have the light of life in us. But Jesus takes it even a step further than that when it comes to you and I as believers. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, using similar language to what we're seeing in Mark chapter 4. Listen to this. He says to you and I as believers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I love this picture that is here because notice Jesus says you are the light of the world. Not you will be the light of the world. Not, he doesn't, it's not a command to become light. He says as my representatives, as my disciples, you are the light of the world. And by the way, that is worded in such a way as you are the only light in this dark world filled with my spirit. With, with my power, with my word, Jesus sends us out with that. He says, you're it. We're, guys, there's no plan B. We're it. The light of the world. The light being brought into the darkness around us. What a privilege it is that we have the light of life that Jesus says as we walk with him. But what a responsibility it is to not just keep that within us, but to shine that light. And just like the, the, the beautiful illustration of that is the, the sun and the moon, the moon itself does not produce any light. All it does is reflect the light of the sun. And as the Lord has laid this on my heart studying this before, the only difference between a full moon, when you walk outside, especially if you're away from the city lights and you see the full moon and it's lit up in, in all of its grandeur, I mean, it's just like, man, it's like the middle of the day sometimes. It's so bright and beautiful and reflecting the sun. The only difference between the full moon and the new moon, which is when you go outside and you can't see the moon at all, the only difference is how much of the world is in the way. Because when the earth gets completely between the sun and the moon, we can't see the moon. And the same is true with you and I, guys. The thing that stops us from reflecting fully the light of Jesus is how much of the world we let get in the way. We're called to be the light to the world, not allowing the light to get in the way. And it, and it comes in such, such amazing ways that God gives us to, to be that light. It's sharing his word, but it's also being his representatives, being his love. I got to tell you again, <laughs> Sunday morning, sometimes you get a little bit extra than Saturday night because this morning I'm talking to Pastor Ray in Newark and he's sharing this story about what happened this week. And guys, this is just a living example of this that takes place. Tuesday was, was Pastor Ray's wife, her, her name's Ruthie, her birthday. And he was getting ready to take her out 
for her birthday, and there's this kid in the neighborhood who's been causing a whole bunch of trouble lately, a lot of trouble. And Ray said, I've, he goes, pray for me because I've been wanting to get in my flesh a few times. I know how I used to deal with this kid, but you know, pray for me in that. Well, he came up and he was talking to Ray about some stuff and finally Ruth said, okay, I'm ready to go. And the kid says, hey, can I come with you? And he was like, well, you know, it is my wife's birthday and we're supposed to be going out with him. And he goes, well, think of it this way, P. Ray. If I'm with you, I can't be causing any trouble here. And... <laughs> Ray said, well, you got a point there, but it's not my birthday. Let's, let's check with Ruthie. And so they did. And Ruthie said, yeah, let's take him with us. And they took him out of the neighborhood. And he said, they said they got the next city over. He'd never been outside of his neighborhood. And they start driving around and he starts seeing things that he's never seen before. And by the end of it, by the end of that time, Ray said, I'm seeing a change in that kid because he saw the love of Jesus that we just said, yeah, come with us. Something just like that. And he, Ray laughed. He goes, man, someday he's going to be pastoring this church. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, but it's just, guys, it's just that. Just being open to what the Lord would have us to shine and reflect him. We can't manufacture the light, but we can hinder it. We just need to be open to whatever it is that God will do in and through us. And Jesus closes that out. He says, you know, do it in such a way that, that the world sees the things that you're doing, your good works. And when they do that, they glorify God. Verse, verse 22, Jesus says this. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. And in the context that we see here, remember, look back to verse 11. We looked at this last week. He says, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are on the outside, get everything in parables. Guys, understand the, the light that's been given to us, the seed that has been sown in our hearts when it takes, when it takes root and bears fruit. Guys, we have been given insight into the mysteries of God. The mystery we talked about last time is something that before was concealed, but now is revealed. And that's what Jesus is saying here. His desire is that all would know. Everybody would understand how awesome he is and what he has done. It's like a, like a treasure hunt. You go out and set up a treasure hunt for, for, for your kids. The design behind it is that they'll find what's hidden, right? I mean, if you hide stuff purposely trying to keep it so that they can't hide it, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I mean, the, the design behind something like that with your kids is so that they find it. And in finding it, the joy that they have in finding that, and that's God's design for us in his word. When we find these truths, he has great joy. And he says, to you it's been given this, and our responsibility is to take that truth out and to share it everywhere. In a different context, Jesus says a similar thing, but with the same exhortation to you and I. He's talking about the fact, don't be surprised, though, when you take this message out, when you shine my light in the world, that you're going to get resistance, that you're going to be maligned, that you're going to be persecuted, you're going to have horrible things said about you. Attacks are going to come, he says, because you're not above your master, and they did it to me. But he goes on to say this, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. That's, that's what we're called to do. 
He goes on to say, do not fear a couple of more times because that's our flesh. That's our tendency when that comes to, to be afraid. But he's saying, don't fear. I'm with you. Verse 23, again, he repeats, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. But the first part of 24 goes directly with that. Notice he says, and he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. In, in Luke chapter 8, in this account here, he says, take care how you listen. So in these, in these three verses, 23, 24, and in Luke, Jesus is telling, telling us very carefully that we need to take care that we hear, take care what we hear, and take care how we hear. First of all, take care that we hear. Guys, we have been given ears to hear. Jesus' command to us is use them. Use them. And again, we're talking not just physically hearing. We're talking about receiving the word of God. God has given us the ability as believers to receive and understand his living word. And we have a responsibility to do that. But we also, it's an, it's an unbelievable privilege to be able to open his word, to take time reading his word, studying his word, meditating on his word. Not something that we just blast through real quick to check it off of our daily schedule. Yep, spent my time in the word, spent my time in prayer, now on with the rest of my day. But truly meditating, marinating in his word. And guys, I understand we all have busy lives. We all have things that are clamoring for our attention. But I think we would all agree that there is not one thing more important in our day than spending time with the Lord. And I would tell you that the first part of your day, waking up, spending some time in his word, spending time in prayer. I heard it said one time, I believe Martin Luther was the one who said it, I pray, I pray two hours every morning except on really busy days. Then I pray three. <laughs> because I understand what is, what is ahead. And the only way I'm going to get through that day is with the Lord. If we rush through it, we're missing out. And then meditating on God's word. This is so important and I think so misunderstood sometimes because we think that meditation is the third part of what we do in our half an hour. No, meditating on the word of God would literally mean take it with you the rest of the day. Don't close your Bible, leave it on the desk and go. Take the word with you in your heart. And the idea of meditating on it, I love this illustration. It's kind of gross, but it really makes the point. It's like a cow chewing its cud. You know, a cow has four stomachs. And it, first of all, takes a mouthful of grass and it chews and it gets its initial nourishment from that and it swallows it into stomach number one. A little while later, comes back up, chews on it a little bit more gets some more nourishment, gets some more of the vitamins, gets more of that, and then swallows it into stomach too. A little while later, it comes back up. Chew on it a little bit more. Like I said, it's a little gross, but hopefully it'll remind you that you know after your Bible study time in the morning, a little bit later on in the day, hey, chew on that a little bit more. You know, God spoke to me something real, really awesome this morning, and why, wouldn't you know I could apply it right here? meditating on God's word, not something to rush through. I heard a story, read a story this week about a, he was a tour guide at Yosemite National Park and he'd been doing it for like 40 years. 
And every day he just, he walked out in it like it was a brand new experience because he'd see things that he hadn't seen before because of just the grandeur of this place. And he traveled all over at different places. And as a tour guide, you know, he got the opportunity to point new things out to people all the time. And one time a lady came up to him and said, you know, I only have an hour here. What would you recommend I do? And he sat there for a second. He goes, if you only have an hour in Yosemite Park, I would recommend you go over, sit down by the river there and just cry. Because, <laughs> I mean, you're only going to scratch the surface and you're going to be miserable because there's so much more here. And guys, if we run through our devotion time in the morning, the same is true for us. We're going to miss out on, oh, Lord, how, what do you have for me in this? And that's what Jesus is saying. He who has ears, let him hear. Take care that you hear what he has for you. But also, take care what you hear. That is why it is so important. That's why we stress it so much here at Calvary Chapel Surprise that we go through the entire word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We go through the New Testament. If you're here new, uh, we go through the New Testament on the weekends. And we go through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We're in the book of Psalm on Wednesday nights. If you have some time on Wednesday nights, come on out. It's a, it is a blessed time to go through the Word of God on Wednesday nights in the Old Testament. But the entire counsel of God, because we can fall into it. Jesus is saying, take care what you hear. We can cherry pick our favorite verses, kind of put them in here. And as I've said before, you can torture the Word of God to make it say whatever you want. You pull one verse out, say, oh, here's, I'm going to prove a point with this. No, we need to read it all in its context and let the Word of God do the work in us. It's not up to us to manipulate the Word of God, but that's so easy to do. If I say, you know what, I just like this. I'm going to just read this. This is whatever. No, the entire counsel of God. Take care that we listen to it all everything that he has for us. And one other thing that I think is so crucial about the word of God, because it, it, my antennas go up when I can listen to a message for 15 or 20 minutes and there's no reference to Jesus. Because guys, everywhere in the word of God, everything points to Jesus, everything. So be careful that you hear, be careful what you hear, but notice also Jesus said, be careful how you hear in Luke chapter eight, verse 18. We need to always seek to apply the word of God to our own hearts and to our own lives. We can't, we can't cherry pick again. We can't just say, okay, well, that's for somebody else. Oh, I can't wait to hit somebody over the head with this verse. No, <laughs> Lord, do that work in me. I love in Acts chapter 22, when Paul was confronted by the Lord Jesus, he asked him two questions. First of all, who are you, Lord? And second, what do you want me to do? And we should approach again the word of God, just like before as he illuminates and exposes, Lord, show yourself to me, but what do you want me to do? What do you, how do you want me to apply this in my life? And that deals with obedience. Obedience is just a, just a, a way of saying, follow the instructions, do what I say. And Jesus goes on in our text this morning to talk about this because there's a blessing if we do, but a warning if we don't. Notice as verse 24 continues, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Jesus is saying is if we hear his word and respond obediently, more light 
will be given to us. However, if we're in his word and he points something out to us and that word falls on hard ground like we talked last week or it's choked out, he's saying be careful because even what you have can be taken. This idea of the standard of measure, now reading it right in the context, I think it just flows directly into the rest of these verses, but it got me thinking a little bit, the standard of measure, my standard of measure, guys, if our, it's a condition of our heart going into the word of God, will oftentimes dictate what we get out of the word of God. If I go in disinterested, I'm not going to find anything interesting. If I go in disconnected, I'm not going to get connected. But if I go in hungry, I'm going to come away fed. It's the same thing even coming to church. You come in to, to listen to a message either here or online or where, wherever it is. If you go in with a critical heart, you'll find fault. But if you go in with a desire to receive from God, you will. And there's a, again, Jesus coming with this saying, go expectantly and you'll be filled and you'll get even more on top of that. Luke puts it this way again in Luke 8.18 and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I like the way he put this. He says, so pay attention how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Again, that idea of listening, receiving, taking in the word of God, owning it, applying it. Jesus said, if you hear my words and act on them, that is when you will have that firm foundation that it doesn't matter what comes against you, you'll stand. Again, understanding that as we go, and again, I believe it keeps coming back to this idea of not only who God is as he reveals himself to us in his word, but how we respond to what he tells us and commands us to do in his word. Jesus asked a great question to his disciples that we need to put before us all the time. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's a great question. So as he's speaking very clearly to us in his word, how are we responding as he illuminates those things in our, uh, exposes those things in our heart, in our life, that are not Christ-like, the way that, that we need to deal with something, how are we responding? I read a, a story about a, a very wealthy Chinese man who traveled from China over to England, and while he was there, he saw a, the, a microscope many, many years ago, and this was just coming out, and he was fascinated by the fact that looking through the microscope, you would see all of these things that are hidden from the naked eye. And being very wealthy, he bought one himself, takes it back home, and he's, he's just fascinated with this, so he's sticking everything under the lens and looking at it. And one day, right before he eats, he grabs a grain of rice, and he puts it that he's about to eat, and he puts it underneath the microscope, and he saw all of these living things crawling all over the rice that he was about to eat. So you know what he did? He destroyed the microscope. <laughs> because it revealed something distasteful for him. So instead of dealing with the problem, he destroyed the source of the discovery. And so often we have to be careful that we don't do that in our own hearts. When God reveals something to us in his word or speaking directly to our hearts that may be distasteful to us, 
We have to be careful that we don't push that away, but that we embrace it and we allow God to do the work in us. Because guys, when we do, we are so blessed on the other side of it. But again, Jesus' warning, even what he thinks he has, as it says in Luke, I mean, we can deceive ourselves. Even that's taken away. But when we respond, when we listen, when we do that, even more light is given to us. Well, let's move along. The parable of the seed is next. Jesus says this, verse 26, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by the day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops, notice, by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now we see here again, very important that we look back to verse 13, as I mentioned at the outset. Remember, Jesus said this, do you not understand this parable, meaning the parable of the sower? How will you understand all the parables? So Jesus is saying, in order for us to understand what's being said here, we need to understand and apply what we've already learned from the parable of the sower. So obviously here the seed is, being, is the word of God. The sower is the one that is sharing the word. But notice as, he's, as he goes on and he describes the kingdom and how it grows and how individuals come in, after the seed is sown, and again, let's, let's put us in that place as the sower, the rest of the process is, is kind of foreign to us as to how God then takes that seed that we've sown and turns that and uses that in the lives of others. Notice it says the, the, the soil produces crops by itself, that word is the Greek word automate, where we get automatic. It happens without any additional help from the sower. God does it. That's God's business. And again, we need to understand what our job is in this, and that is to reflect the light. That is to sow the seed. What happens in the lives and in the hearts of those that we're sharing is the Lord's work. And so often, it's, we need to be reminded of this. And we would probably all agree with that, but we need to be reminded as we are continuing to share the word and to share the love of the Lord with those around us and we meet with rejection and we meet with being pushed away, we can feel like we're failing and oh, the enemy loves to pile on that. But I heard that put this way a long time ago. And I love this. It's a reminder for me, especially as a pastor at times when I'm sharing and I'm thinking, man, this isn't getting through. This isn't, this isn't breaking through the ice here. Guys, we are called to be obedient, not successful. Obedience is our job. The harvest is brought in by God. He is the one who takes that. And in order to understand a little bit more about the harvest, what's being said, and this will feed in a little bit into the next parable as we look into it. Understanding the fruit of this harvest is individuals, but would you turn back with me into the book of Matthew, because the Matthew chapter uh, 13, the parable that we just looked at in Mark is exclusive to Mark. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Luke, it's not in John. But it's interesting that in Matthew's account of these, of these parables, he has a different parable between the parable of the sower and the parable of the seed. Now, Jesus spoke many parables. John tells us if it was recorded everything that Jesus said, we wouldn't have enough books in the world to carry it all. So that does, this isn't contradiction. This is just another parable, but it sheds light on the harvest that's referred to in Mark's uh, parable that we just looked at. Verse 24 
Matthew 13, notice it follows the parable of the sower right before the parable of the mustard seed, which we'll get to in a moment in Mark. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to them, Do you, do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus is telling us again, as this process goes in the kingdom of God, when we put these two together, we don't understand how the, how the wheat grows and what God's doing in an individual heart. And, and we see the result of it. We see the fruit later, but we don't understand the process, but also understand that also that's been sown in there, the enemy sowing tares, growing up together. And Jesus says, at the harvest, we'll separate the wheat from the tares. Another illustration he uses is separating the sheep from the goats. As we move into the next parable that we see, the parable of the mustard seed, back in Mark chapter 4, verse 30, he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which is sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds when they are, that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants, forms large branches, so the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Jesus, again, describing a picture now of the kingdom of God. Here, the seed grows into not an individual, but the church. That's kind of representing what's going on there. Also understanding that that church, that 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 tree, that bush that has this, it provides shelter, it provides comfort for us, it provides protection, but also notice it says that birds come. And understanding again, Jesus said back in verse 13, in order to understand this parable, we need to understand the previous one. What did the birds represent in the parable of the sower? Represented Satan, represented demonic forces that are coming in and trying to disrupt, coming in to try to take away the word. Understand this, guys. The enemy figured this out a long time ago. Satan, early on in the church, that trying to persecute, trying to kill the believers, trying to do that, realized that the blood of the saints only helped explode the church. So he, he realized a long time ago, if you can't beat them, join them. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. The growth of the kingdom will not result in the, in the conversion of the world. In fact, some of the growth will give opportunity for Satan to get in and go to work. Now, I don't say all of that to, to scare you. I don't say all of that to have you look at the guy sitting next to you and kind of wonder. That's, that's not the point of it at all. The point is, to go back to what Jesus told us, be careful what you listen to. Be careful how you listen and that we need to be continually sharing and shining the light. Because God's work's not done. He is going to be the one who makes that determination. By the way, we're not, out, we're not to be tear inspectors. We're to be light. We are to be, we are to be the ones sowing the seed. Well, let's, let's finish out this, this section. Verse 33, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. 
And guys, this just, this really blessed me as, as a finish to, to this because I'm, I'm encouraged by, you know, again, Jesus calling us the light of the world. Jesus saying, take care of this. And as you do, more, more illumination will be given. But notice this. He doesn't just leave us on our own. He says here, he says, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a, are you a disciple of Jesus? Because if you are, the same is true for you. Jesus' heart is to meet you in his word and to illuminate and to help you understand. We have everything we need right here. We were talking, again, I mentioned that on Friday morning. We were talking about one of the, one of the guys that was with me on Friday is actually on leave from the army and he's heading back out tomorrow and he's talking about some of the things that they do and one of the things, the the work that's they, they drop them in this area, forested area, and all they have is a map and a compass, and they have to find these different plots on, on the map just with the compass and the map that they have. And it's, you know, they, they'll be going through and they're thinking they got the straight line, but all of a sudden there's this minefield in front of them, so they have to navigate around that and all this other stuff. We're thinking, we ask the question, well, why in this day and age would you, would you not use a GPS? He says, well, they don't give you a GPS because you can't always count on a GPS. A GPS isn't always there. There might, you could have all sorts of problems. You need to be able to navigate through it with a map and a compass. Guys, here's our map. And the compass is the Holy Spirit that is within each and every one of us. God, in his, in his way of setting up the, the church, it does tell us that he's, he's given to the church pastors, teachers, Guys, one of the things that I hope that you get from sitting here and, and listening to the word of God taught each week is, if Brett can do it, I can do it. Because, I, guys, I'm nobody special. I, this might come as a shock to some of you, and you're saying, well, I didn't know that. I'm not coming back. But I didn't go to seminary. I, I spend time with the Lord all week long. I'm blessed that that's, that's, that's what he's called me to do, to, to read his word, to study it, and to, and to do that, and then to bring what he's called me to share with you. But let me let, me let you in on a little something. About 95% of what the Lord is revealing to me during the week and going, you never hear. Because a lot of it's just meant for me. It's meant for my personal journey. It's meant for me walking through. It's like opening all of this up. And guys, he wants that with each and every one of us. His desire is that we understand his word, not only as the whole, but what it means for you personally. I, could, I can't give personal application for every one of you, but Jesus can and he will if we spend time in his word. And notice, as far as they were able to hear it, he knows what you need. He knows what you can handle. He's not going to jam a piece of steak down your throat if you're not ready for that. <laughs> Matter of fact, I love the 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And when we do that, we get what we need. By the way, moms, this is a great illustration for us, all of us, like newborn babies long for or crave the pure milk of the word. How often does the baby long for that newborn baby? Once a day? Couple times a day, pretty much done at eight o'clock at night. You're you're good till eight the next morning. <laughs> no, 
Oh, like David said, I meditate on your word day and night. So don't be surprised. You wake up at 10, 11 at night, and all of a sudden, boom. And fervency, not just the frequency that the baby wants, but the fervency. Does, does the baby go, hey, mom, whenever you think about it, whenever you get around to it, I'd, I'd like a little milk over here? No, it's now. And the pure milk, again, what we listen to. Be careful. In the word, all of it, the pure milk of the word. Guys, if you're in a spot where you're reading and you just don't understand, you're, you're stuck in a place, pray. Pray. And keep reading. Don't stop. Don't let the enemy say, yeah, this is just this wave. Yeah, there's nothing in it. No. Pray. Go back to it. Read it again. Lord, show me. And even sometimes it might even just be a word. And then be obedient. That's one thing. I've asked this a lot of times when I, somebody has come to me and said, I said, when was the last time you really heard God speaking? And when we go back and we travel back there with that person, oftentimes the Lord was speaking to them to do something. Have you done it? Nope. How do you expect more light unless you respond to what it is that he's already revealed to you? And that requires faith. This whole thing requires faith. Trusting in God. But that brings me back again, and this is a, the verse that the Lord keeps bringing me back to. So we'll close with this. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are truly awesome. (laughs) The King of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty God, eternal. Yet, you loved us so much that you chose to step off your throne in heaven, to come and take on flesh, to live among us, to live a a perfect, sinless life and then give that life in exchange for ours so that we could know you, so that we could come into this amazing relationship with you. And Lord, your word is clear that, that it's the heart, that it's your heart, that we would become like you. So Lord, our prayer today is that You would just meet us here, each one of us individually. Lord, some of us just beginning our journey with you. Others that have been walking with you for decades. But Lord, we're still on the path. We're still on the journey. None of us have have reached that destination yet. So Lord, would you do that work in us? Would you speak very clearly and personally to our hearts? Lord, Reveal more of yourself to us as you illuminate yourself in the scriptures. But Lord, would you expose those areas in our hearts that that need to be dealt with? Show us how it is that you desire for us to walk. Lord, give us specific things that you want us to do this week. Lord, I thank you for the example that you you gave us with, with Ray and Ruth this week. Lord, give us those opportunities to shine your light in the world. And Lord, Our prayer is that we would be obedient and walk in those things. 
Thank you for trusting us with that ministry. Lord, meet us in your word this week. Grow us, change us, transform us, mold us more and more into your image. If you're here today and you've never taken that step to surrender your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, you, you are still trying somehow to earn favor with God, I invite you today to follow Jesus. Because in order to do the will of God, you first of all need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because nothing you can do can make up for the sin that has separated you from God, and it's Jesus' perfect life exchanged for yours on the cross. That's the only way. So simply go before him, confess your sin, pray along these lines, just say, God, I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. I know I need a Savior, and Jesus, I believe you died to save me. I believe you paid the full penalty for me, so would you come into my life right now? I give you control. Wash my sin. Give me eternal life. I follow you from this moment on. And Jesus, we thank you for that work in all of us. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.